Hi, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of Full Comment. Vaccine mandates have become a very controversial topic, but one thing that many people say is that if they're gonna be in any place, it should be in the healthcare sector, where vulnerable people are being treated and where those dealing with the worst bouts of COVID-19 are of course being hospitalized. And while the overwhelming majority of healthcare workers are vaccinated, some are saying no. They're against the policy. Some have taken it to court. Some are willing to get fired over it, including our next guest, a registered nurse who worked in Ontario for 30 years, but has now been let go. Now, I want to be clear because emotions do run high with this issue and even having discussions about this issue that we're not having this conversation on this podcast because we want to discourage anyone from getting vaccinated. I myself, like most people in Canada, got the two shots. But I think it's important that instead of just talking about such individuals, we take the time to talk to them and listen to what they have to say. Anita Davis is a registered nurse from London, Ontario. She joins us now. Hi, Anita. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So off the bat, what is your employment status right now as a registered nurse in Ontario? After 31 years of nursing, I have been terminated as of October the 22nd. And terminated as a result of non-compliance with a vaccination policy that uh, I guess you have to comply by by October 22nd. That was the deadline. Is that correct? That's correct. And just so we're clear, what was the, the policy put in place uh, by the place you worked at, London Health uh, Sciences Centre? So the policy um, speaks to obviously the COVID vaccination. Um, it wanted, it, it was, um, I guess, demanding uh, that everybody be double vaccinated by October the 22nd um, or face um, termination. Now, folks that would have had one vaccination by that time and have to wait, you know, the 21 or 28 days um, in between, they're put on an unpaid leave right now until they get their second vaccine. Then they will still be on an unpaid leave for 14 days and then they can come back into the workplace. What situation were you in when you were terminated? I, I take it that means that you did not have the one dose. You had no dose of the vaccine. Uh, that, that's correct. I haven't taken any vaccines. And I guess COVID the, vaccines. Right. And okay. Well, actually, before I ask you the next question, because you clarified COVID yep. vaccines, uh, you have taken other vaccines. I have. Absolutely. Okay. And the number one question is why? Why did you choose to not get the COVID vaccine? For me, really looking into the information that's out there, I find it a very one sided debate, which does make me nervous. Um, but I just, I, it's really a time. Uh, piece for me, Anthony, there just hasn't been enough, even immediate uh, term uh, results, let alone long term. Um, and I'm not even talking about, you know, waiting for like 20 years or something. But I, I feel that um, for the mandates to come out this quickly, I feel very rushed to make that decision on something that I'm injecting into my body. Um, it's not just something that you're putting on or wearing or having to say. Um, and the other piece, and I don't know how controversial this would be, but certainly um, there's no recompense. There's nothing that I can do to go back to the vaccine companies to if there are problems or if, or if there are adverse effects. And some things, many things can't be changed once they've happened. So you would say side effects. Right. Side effects is yeah. your predominant. Side concern. effects, and, and I would even say stronger than that, Anthony, adverse effects. 
how would you distinguish between the two? Side effects, you know, things that side effects uh, that you would say normally talk about with regular medications or anything, you know, headaches, fatigue. Um, so often, you know, you'll have a shot in your arm and you'll have a sore arm. Those aren't, those aren't things that, you know, I'm not concerned with there. But I just don't have enough um, long-term data to see how does it go, including needing boosters, which now they're talking about the third booster coming out. How many are there? What's the efficacy truly of, of these vaccines? Um, so there's a lot of questions. For myself, I, coming from a nursing background, there's too many questions for me to feel comfortable personally uh, to go ahead with it at this time. Uh, now, I believe I received my first shot in June of this year. Uh, yep. However, a lot of healthcare professionals would have been able to first receive it in January. Uh, mm -hmm. Definitely a lot of hospital workers. So when you're talking about people in your situation, your colleagues, I guess there's 10 months of, of people who are in your line of work who have had experience having had this vaccine. So you're saying 10 months, uh, that, that that timeline didn't sort of assuage it. You kind of thought, okay, I've waited out the clock. I'm up to the mandate. Okay, fine. Now I'll get the shot kind of thing at the end of October. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm still not, personally, I'm still not comfortable with, with the outcomes of it. And what sort of conversations have happened among you and your colleagues? Because uh, presumably based on the numbers, most of the people that you work with, the people you're around in, in, in your hospital settings, they have all received the vaccine and probably received it many months uh, before, but that didn't give you assurances? You know, um, I, now for myself personally, I work in a small clinic um, area, out, actually outside of the hospital. Hmm. And I teach patients how to do their own dialysis at home, their home hemodialysis. And I work with a very small group of just wonderful women. Um, and we've had such good conversations around this, even, even with their comfort zones. I mean, they, they still have questions. There's questions about boosters. Um, and I've made my stance very clear on this. I'm, I'm not some hard line and you know, anti-vaxxer. That's not where I'm coming from at all. My staff members, all my girls have been so supportive all along. It's been devastating. Um, losing a staff member because there are only five nurses left there right now. Um, so I was one of five for the longest time and we've just actually brought somebody else new in. So to lose 20% of your workforce there is is difficult. So it's it's been very difficult and knowing that this was coming up, especially since the end of August, has made it particularly difficult. It, it was very hard for me going into work, just knowing that the termination was coming up. Right. So you've you've spoken openly to your colleagues who you sort of work the same shifts with and so forth. And by yes. the sounds of it, uh, most of these colleagues were vaccinated themselves, but you, you did just speak about it openly and they knew about your position. Yes. Uh, one of one of my colleagues, actually a couple of my colleagues, um, were also very vaccine hesitant. And you know what? Did not feel comfortable taking the vaccine. But when you're faced with the coercion of having your job, your livelihood, um, your paycheck taken away from you, um, which is really not playing fair ball. Um, what can you do? Right. That that's a, that's a very difficult choice to make. Um, so I would say that there's probably a larger number than you think, Anthony, of of healthcare workers who have taken, and not just nurses. Of course, I'm a nurse, but I'm speaking for the entire hospital team, for people who have taken their shot, and they felt very put under duress to do that which is no way to have a patient sign a consent for any procedure, let alone, uh, you know, educated staff making that decision as well. 
And I know, Anita, you're not just here speaking in your own capacity, in your own situation. Uh, you've also been a spokesperson for an organization called United Healthcare Workers of Ontario. What is this organization? So uh, the UHCWO.com, wonderful website, um, Roman Babber's team has been a huge help getting this set up for us because certainly, well, you can see the technical difficulties that come up with somebody who's a professional, let alone taking, um, you know, professionals in healthcare trying to get this started up. So it's it's really, it's a gra- grassroots collective of healthcare workers, again, not just nurses, um, Anybody who works in healthcare can join, and we've we represent over three thousand healthcare workers in Ontario. So, and, and these are three thousand reason- individuals who uh, have similar questions and concerns. Three thousand yes. who who are definitely not vaccinated, or there's some vaccinated persons who are just sort of uh, allies for, I guess, choice and opposed to the mandates. What what is the makeup of the organization? You know what? It, it's actually all of the above. Uh, we certainly we have people who are in it who are vaccinated and made their choice and we're happy to make their choice um, without having to feel under duress and they feel very concerned that these mandates are out there. My my mission, I guess if you want to call it that today, is not to speak to being anti-vax and pull out vaccine numbers and that. I want the right, as I want everybody to have their right, to make their own choice because that is essentially what freedom is. Um, of course, and then as our discussion goes on, we'll discuss how how does that work in a healthcare setting. But we all need to have the freedom of choice to make the right one for us. Well, how does it work in a healthcare setting in terms of what the rules are in place for other vaccines that you need to get? I know of there have been stories in the past. Uh, the British Columbian Nurses Union actually went to court to fight against nurses having to get the flu shot. I don't believe the union's position was that they were anti-flu shot, uh, but they were in right. support of choice for it, which is why they went to court uh, in the first place. What is What was the status quo P- prior to this coming into place, this rule for you? Uh, did you have to have the flu shot or other shots or what have you, other immunization records for you to work in your workplace? This is, as far as I know, unless there was something that was, you know, really kind of far out there, this is the only time that we've ever had a vaccine mandate. We've had suggested ones, of, you know, shots and vaccine. Um, the flu shot, um, the Ontario um, Health Association, they did try to put it through so that it would be mandated. And then there was the mask policy with that. And that all came down to choice again. And so just like in BC, um, that ended up falling through as being put in as a forced mandate. Um, yeah, so um, this is the first time that we've ever seen anything like this at all. So, Anita, let me ask you, back in January, when uh, the vaccines became available for your colleagues and you saw some of them roll up their sleeve on day one and it was a, a very organized campaign, a lot of people, of course, very happy to participate in it, did you just kind of think, okay, well, this isn't for me and, and you thought that that would be it? Or did you expect that a day would come when you were told, okay, you're going to have to choose job or jab? Um, the staff, you know what? Nobody in, in my staff was even um, vaccinated that soon. Uh, it kind of rolled out, I think, to like long-term care and high right. risk. I think that we probably started closer to with our staff, probably, I would have to say March. That's a bit of a guess, but um, which isn't a huge change, I guess, from that. Um, we, we had some that were, you know, kind of ran out to get it. Um, others that were wanted to look into it more. And then of course, a couple of others of us who were, I don't know, uh, um, 
can't make that decision yet. What was the general climate in the broader sort of uh, healthcare situation? I know you talked about your immediate workplace and people who you were on mm-hmm. shift with. The broader discussion, I guess, particularly in, in the city you're in, over healthcare worker perspectives, because this is a view that a lot of people, uh, of course, are very passionate about whether or not yes to get the vaccine or in, in the small numbers of those healthcare workers who say they don't want to receive it. I mean, was it was it a casual conversation up until the termination came where people relaxed about it in the spring and summer because it's become quite acrimonious uh, of late? Yes, it, oh, it's become it's become um, personally defining, hasn't it? I mean, mm. you're literally a good person or a bad person, uh-huh. um, a good nurse, uh, a bad nurse. I mean, we've we've literally drawn the line this hard, which is very unfair. We've left out the other 99.9% of people, uh, like of their personality. People will say that on Twitter, you're a bad nurse, but has someone said that to your face? Has a colleague said that to you? Have you been accused of being a bad nurse because of this choice? Never. I've never been accused of being a bad nurse. A little sassy, maybe, but that's... <laughs> but in all of No, my, I mean, you because know, of the... I don't mean in the past 30 years. I mean, recently, yeah. because of this issue. No, no, I have not had that at all. I've I've actually had so much support, and again, I think that 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 speaks to um, how I am as a team member, um, and and being accepting of other people's issues that they have in their life. There's more than just the COVID vaccine, which I know we're discussing, right. but I, I think that my integrity um, does show through for that. So did you just get, you know, an email, um, uh, something in the mail, a fax saying, you know, uh, dear Miss Davis, thank you for your time. You're now terminated. Or is it someone who you knew? Was it a, you know, a healthcare administrator who you've been familiar with over the years who had to make the call? Hey, Anita, you know, I, I like you personally. I know we're friends, but bad news for you. Like, how did that go down? Um, so first the policy came out. Um, and then it, it was really my immediate manager um, who had discussion. There was no other outreach from senior management at all um and you know uh, many staff members actually didn't even disclose their vaccination status Hmm. the reason the reason that i did so i i think literally up until sort of the last day uh for many of them i i was vocal in the workplace in conversationally vocal in the workplace so people we all knew where each other stood with this so i did feel comfortable coming out and saying that i um I think it would have been really uh, presumptuous of myself to say, you know what, well, maybe I will get it or I'm not sure. Um, And again, I think that that speaks to we should be bold enough to make our own choices. Now, one thing that I've written about before, and and we did a previous podcast episode on vaccine passports for the public more broadly, is that I feel like Ontario's and and Canada's approach to the passports is incredibly rigid and severe compared to what they're doing Mm -hmm. in other jurisdictions. So whether or not Mm -hmm. uh, you are for or against vaccine passports, I feel like best practices shows us there's different ways it can be done. So many European countries acknowledge natural immunity for certain time windows, six months, nine months, whatever it is. Uh, They'll also say, okay, you can go and get... uh, get a test you know once a week twice a week whatever it is continually to show your negative and then you get that green check mark still on your passport they allow for other options and there's been a lot of discussion that um, for healthcare workers why don't we implement these other options just the same way anita would you have been okay with being told uh for as long as these rules are in place for the next six months year five years i don't know you need to get a, a weekly or a twice weekly or what have you COVID test would you have done that Absolutely, I would have. So this all came about with Directive 6 uh, that Dr. Karen Moore put out. Now, Directive 6 gives guidelines for what what recommendations, not laws, 
recommendations should be out there for healthcare workers. And he, um, amongst, you know, all the usual that, you know, social distancing, masking, hand washing, we wear our PPE um, appropriately um, as needed. Um, I had, you know, initially I wondered if I really did want to do the testing because I knew that it would lead up to um, termination without taking my shots because of the hospital policy that came out. But our hospital mandated that we get tested three times weekly. Actually, Directive 6 says one time weekly. So mm. I'm, I'm a Monday to Friday worker. Uh, so I would test Monday, Wednesday, Friday, report my results and go in. And the other key piece to this, too, is we're always worrying about testing. You know, we're talking about COVID. There are so many other things. I would never even go into work, Anthony, uh, not not feeling well anyways, whether it was GI right. or right or respiratory or, you know, feeling sick. So I think part of the responsibility as well is, is on us. I would think that as, as a healthcare staff person, uh, we all know when we're sick and certainly wouldn't go in pre-COVID. If COVID never happened, this that wouldn't change. So I think that's it's just even stricter that way too. But yeah, I, I would be willing to do my three times weekly getting tested. Um, as we know, the vaccines do not, um, they don't stop transmission of COVID. In our numbers today, we had 36% of the positives um, in Ontario, which is still a very small number, granted. I mean, if you have 438 people in Ontario, we have 15 million population. But of that number, because they keep insisting on putting those numbers out, 36% today are double vaccinated people. How many of those are healthcare workers? Maybe none, maybe all of them. So when I go in as an unvaccinated nurse, you don't know to look at me. If you walked in, Anthony, and you saw me next to a colleague who was double vaccinated, you don't know the difference. We all wear our masks. We all do the same infection control procedures. But I have gone in and I have got a negative test to be there. If it was positive, of course, I would report it and have to go for the PCR test. Um, have you had any sort of outbreak in, in your immediate workplace? You or one of your colleagues uh, testing positive since this all began? No, no. Uh, we have a bit, we have more of an outpatient population, right. but um, in in my area where I've worked, there was there weren't any um, outbreaks at all. Uh, let me ask you because I I said off the top, a lot of people you ask them, okay, maybe they're against mandates or they're against it for their own sector and you know banking or what have you, but they say, well, healthcare is somewhere we need it. Well, I should put a bit of a, a caveat on that. I think a lot of people say long-term care homes. That's the place where if you're going to have a vaccine mandate, it's there because we know the majority of persons who have died of COVID-19 in Ontario have been in long-term care facilities. Anita, when you say you're opposed to these mandates, are you opposed to them just for you and your workplace? And you would say, oh, okay, I, I take the point on long-term care. Would you support it being brought in just for those locations? You know, I think a mandate is a mandate. And I think if you're going to have choice now, I think that uh, Perhaps if you, the administration has to take a look at that as well. Why has, why have these things been passed on? The numbers have certainly come down anyways. So, I mean, that's the reality of it. We've had multiple lockdowns. Of course, the lockdown is going to have a huge effect because you're not together out in public at all. So maybe we need to go back to the long-term care homes and say, so what kind of protection do you have for your staff and patients? How short-staffed are you? Um, certainly fatigue in, the, in a stressful workplace, which they all are right now, Anthony, everywhere. Um, 
I got to tell you a crazy story about long-term care that happened to me. We, we have a family member yep. who's in a long-term care facility and yep. one of our family members is the designated visitor and was throughout COVID because the rules were very right. tight. Only one person can go in. You got to wear the mask and got it, this and that. And at one point we were chatting with the relative and he said, all right, well, I'm, you know, I'm off to go visit. Uh, I'm off to go visit the family member uh, at the long-term care center. And, you know, this time, and this was, this was last November. This was 12 months ago in sort right. of second wave in, in that I think the lockdown had maybe just begun. And he said, and this time I actually got to show the negative test. And I said, yeah. excuse me, what are you talking about? And he had been yeah. going to Shoppers Drug Mart once a week to get tested because he was a designated caregiver. And I thought, wow. and I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? This time you actually have to show the test. He said, oh, I don't know. For the past couple of months, I just walk in and they said, did you test negative? And I said, yes. And they never asked to look at it. So anyway, now I have <laughs> to show it. And I said, excuse me? And I said, so this is the place, this is, you know, going into the lion's den. This is where we've acknowledged uh, the yep. real, the, the, the worst challenges are. And yet these protocols, and we're talking about, okay, you know, kids aren't allowed to, you know, we canceled a kid's sports or what have you, even though we acknowledge that, you know, there wasn't a major threat there, but trickle down and so forth. And yet the actual place where there's big challenges, it was honor system. And it just kind of amazed me, Anita, that we could have such a disconnect. We're fighting over whether or not, you know, small retailers can't be open to one or two young people and yet the long-term care yep. centers were, and I don't know if this was a standard policy if it was just this one location, but boy, I thought, I can't believe this, that one rule that maybe should be in, the one rule that should most be in place wasn't actually being done. I, you know what? And how can I disagree with that? So my question, my rebuttal to that then is, so where was the administer? Where was the administrator for right. that? Where was, uh, that is not a staffing uh, piece. I mean, who are you going to report it to if you don't have anybody to go through? Now, I will tell you, when I would do my um, uh, testing here and, and the other staff that were, we were doing our, um, you know, three times weekly testing, there was like there was about 15 steps. Well, really, there's probably about seven steps that I had to go through to actually download it here, upload it here, pass it on here, put a code in, put my three times a week. Now, I, I know in the public, people will say, well, that's not a big deal. It's a lot to have to, could it not be easier? So uh, in other words, there were a lot of hoops that I had to go through just to even report that I was negative. Um, so that is, I'm sorry, that's an administrative fault um, because it, the staff would be getting sick too. Who, which, how do you know which staff came in? How do you know that the management didn't come in sick? So uh, there's so many unknowns and a lot of finger pointing going on. And I think that the governments really, I think an administration did drop the ball very early on, hoping that it'd be fine. Look, in the, in the hospitals, we were crying out for PPE. I work in a very, very low risk area. Um, my patients are, um, they have had say maybe previous transplants. So the, the patients themselves, uh, some of them are higher risk, but because of the way that we're set up, it's a low risk area. But well, for, well, let me ask, because you've acknowledged that there's some patients who are higher risk. And I, I guess yep. a lot of the people out there, the people who are saying, bad nurse, they would say, well, there you go, Anita. That's why we need the policy yep. in place. That's why you should be vaccinated, why you should have either A, made the choice, or B, uh, complied with the mandate and gotten vaccinated. And, and that's why we need to terminate you for not doing it, because you, you were, in fact, putting your patients at risk, is what some individuals will say. And I've heard doctors say yep. that on TV and so forth. How do you respond to that? So I respond to that by, by just finishing off what I was saying. So in our ICUs, when this first came out, the staff were reusing the same masks. You had to go to your manager to get a mask. Hmm. PPE was short. So our numbers were very high. And of course, COVID was new. So you have very high numbers. Um, so we, we weren't being serviced properly that way. 
Now, as to speaking for how do we keep our patients safe, um, again, Anthony, COVID is not the only disease that has walked through our hospital doors. I've worked in eMERGE. You're completely frontline, yourselves and the paramedics. Um, so how did I keep my safe and not get different diseases? How did I not pass anything on to my patients? Well, I use universal precautions. Even back then before you had all the infection control, um, uh, I guess, units that are out there um, and policies, we still did, you still gloved, masked, washed your hands frequently. So we have excellent practices already in hospitals. I can't speak to family members that were visiting or, you know, going back to visit your own families right. or friends. I, I can't speak to that piece. But once you come into our doors, people should feel very safe. And, you know, interestingly enough, I'm unvaccinated. I was willing to go into work. Every, the vast majority of staff and even patients are vaccinated. And this is where I feel the pushback coming. It's not the unvaccinated staff saying, you have to make sure that I'm safe. We do keep ourselves safe, but it's the vaccinated people who are going around with, with lots of fear and, lot of, and a lot of rhetoric. I certainly do see that playing out a little bit. It has been interesting to see that the Ontario Chief Medical Officer had to issue a directive to healthcare providers to tell them, you need to see patients. That came out a few weeks ago, and that was quite something that the government needed to tell doctors that like, they, I don't kind of need to do their job. Like he said, yes, virtual care is a thing for, you know, for a number of things, we're going to move in that direction. But there are a lot of cases where you have to see patients in person. And I have personally heard stories from from friends who, you know, had a kid who was sick, and they said, look, we got to get them checked out. And and the medical clinic would say, we will not accept you, you have to go to ER, which is what led to this, this directive being issued. And, and I think, Anita, to your point, that these doctors, they themselves and their staff, I, I imagine, have received two doses of the vaccine, and yet they aren't willing to see patients. And you're saying that uh, you did not receive the vaccine, but you were willing to go to work and, and, and take on your shifts. So perhaps this is really a, a risk perception issue. Well, and, and this is exactly the point, Anthony. I mean, when you look at it, do you, so again, good person, takes the vaccine, bad person doesn't take the vaccine. We see our politicians, the rhetoric going on. Um, and you look at it and go, but if if you're if you believe so deeply in your vaccination, what are you worried about? Why is it that the vaccinated un or unvaccinated staff are the ones that are being pushed away? But it's never said for our own safety, right? We we still I have girls that I know that have still been going and working in the intensive care units up until they were fired, well-seasoned, experienced nurses that didn't have the vaccine. And they would and have been treating working. COVID patients as well. Absolutely, right? So, um, and did not get sick, by the way. And again, would follow all their PPE guidelines. And um, yeah, it's it's sort of taken, I think the whole, the whole media perspective, um, I'm not sure what the goal, the goalpost keeps moving as well. Are we looking for zero? Uh, we'll never get to zero. Um, I, I think we need to start looking and how do we move on from this? We've got the more boosters coming as well. We've got the third group. Um, at what point do we say, maybe the technology isn't quite here yet? And, and of course, they tweak these medications as well. So I don't think that anything to help with a, a COVID um, vaccination down the road may not even look anything like what we have now. 
Now, Anita, you're saying we sort of in the present tense, you're talking about your team, even though as we've established, you have been terminated. Uh, are you planning to go back to the workplace? Would you like to do that if either? Well, let me ask you this is I know you've said that the, the time window has not been sufficient uh, for your personal assurances. But is there mm -hmm. going to be a time in the next uh, whatever the months are, where you just quietly go get vaccinated one day? I, you know what, I, I can't speak to that yet. If I did, um, I think the way that the termination uh, went through was very coldly done. Hmm. I, um, it, th there was no interest to hear our side of the story, maybe as to why we weren't. I, I did speak my mind, and I think maybe being more experienced and, and having worked there longer, you you feel a little bit, um, maybe a bit more assertive that way. Um, I, I don't know. So myself going back to work, what would that look like? I lose all seniority. Um, not sure where I would fit back in. I, there's no guarantee that I would go back to my area, which where I was had become an expert nurse at teaching my clients and formed wonderful relationships with them. Actually, I've heard from them. Um, so I don't know what that would even look like in the future. So far, there's been there has not really there's not been an olive branch out that way, anyways. So it's not really a concern right now. Now, the Ontario government has talked about uh, drawing back the vaccine passport starting January 15th, which is not the mm -hmm. same thing. I appreciate your mandate was brought in by your employer, not by the mm -hmm. government, but it does seem that there's already discussion of stepping away from these mandates. Would you then consider re-entering the workplace? Would you want to do it? Well, I think the question actually, Anthony, it's, it's not on me. I think the question is, would um, LHSC consider hiring back staff? It's, it's really, the ball is in their court. I, I have no say in it. Um, if they called me and said, could everything has changed, could you go back and, and do your three times weekly testing and follow all protocols tomorrow? I would go back tomorrow because, well, there, I mean, there's the paycheck, obviously that's just being really honest. That's no, why sure. most people work, right? Um, well, well, let me ask you about the paycheck I, I issue as well. Yep. Uh, asking you about the paycheck issue as well, there was one court case, and I want to talk about legal challenges in a moment, uh, where this was challenged for University Health Network, a bunch of hospitals in Toronto. Right. And one of the issues was, well, this basically, these people don't want to get the vaccine, but they have no choice because of paying the rent and supporting their children. And mm -hmm. there was a single mother in the mix and so forth. Uh, you're 31 years into your career. Um, it, has this been, have you been left destitute by your decision? Um. I'm not what asking for your personal banking information, but you know yeah. <laughs> there are some people who are who are more stable either through what their spouse does or what have you or where they're at in their career. I appreciate you're not at the beginning of your career and so yeah. forth. So where has this, what is the level of personal sacrifice for you is what I'm asking. Well, the level of personal sacrifice, my husband is retired, so he he has his, um, his pension um, that he's getting. So there, it's not like he can pick up overtime or anything like that. Um, it, you know, it's it's funny because by my age of, of working after 31 years, you know, you look at it, certain things are kind of set up in your life. And I've put two kids through school. Um, so I don't know, in some ways you have less money the, the longer that you go on in your mm. um, marriage and, and uh, personal life. But of course, it's a hardship. I mean, to lose that paycheck and no severance. And uh, the laws had been changed for employment to get EI, which I've paid into for years. Um, right. So let's be clear on this. You got no severance, no package. None. You can't get EI. So you were making money. You're getting that paycheck. Now you've got nothing and you've got no access to government assistance. Is that how it works? Absolutely not. Nope. I was given a couple sheets of paper just saying, you know, 
I'm not even sure if it said thank you for your years of service, but you're terminated. Here's what's going on. And that that was it. Certainly wouldn't expect a handshake, not with COVID, but there was no uh, elbow bump or anything. So no, they've just let people go. And here is where the coercion comes in, Anthony. You're telling people, okay, you're a single mother. You're, you're a dad who, you know, you've got this going on. What about what about couples who both work in healthcare? I've had them right. reach out to me all over. I mean, this is, it is just absolutely criminal that you have people who are willing to stand up for freedom. This is not just for my choice too, Anthony. I mean, this is, people will say, well, you're so selfish. I've heard that. Do you yeah, know that, that's a is? common refrain, certainly, the selfish right? accusation. It, it's not being selfish because... Once they can put mandates in like this to cut at the core of, say, healthcare, which is a completely essential piece in society, and they're looking at policing and paramedics, and it goes on and on and on. If we cannot have our freedom of choice, what else is going to be mandated? There was actually something on, um, I think it was CTV News, just on the online paper the other day, should we start mandating people to go out and vote? And I thought, here's the word mandate. It's a very slippery slope. Consent is going to be not just medical consent, but for a lot of things, this this is really opening up a very big hole. And I think people are focusing in on just one very small piece of it, but you had government legislation changed so that I couldn't even apply for EI. That is scary that laws can be changed before an event takes place that they knew was going to happen and that they could do that and say, nope, if you don't take it, you can't get any recompense. That is, that's dirty pool. One thing that I found really interesting and a bit troubling about all of this, Anita, is that yep. we are basically doing a whole podcast episode where I'm asking you about your personal medical choices, your personal medical decisions, why you're doing them, why you're not. And that's been very normalized in society. And whatever one thinks about whether one should or shouldn't get vaccinated, quite frankly, I, I, I find the whole topic a little creepy that we're supposed to be you know, writing news stories about specific individuals' choices. Uh, you know, there's different reasons why some younger people have concerns, younger women or, you know, people in your situation and so forth. And and I'm glad to be having this conversation with you. But I also feel it's just kind of icky to be asking someone, well, did you get, why not? What are your concerns and so forth? And yet we're doing it all over the place. And I understand the opposition parties and government have even at times asked for investigations into specific people's medical choices. It's, it's quite something. Well, and I totally agree. I mean, you can't, you can't even ask people about you know, disabilities or gender choices when you're hiring for anything. And, the, and the, of course, the, the creepiest part of it is not even just saying, well, have you had your vaccine or not? As soon as I say no, there's such a huge part of the population that goes, oh, she's an anti-vaxxer or, you know, what a terrible person. She's so selfish and what a horrible nurse. I have excellence all over my career my, you know, um, interviews with my managers and that I've, I've never had any issues, but suddenly I am branded as an uncaring nurse. You would be like, oh, you know, looking at yourself, you know, how could you not, you, you don't care about the staff you work with. I care deeply about the staff that I work with and I want everybody that I work with, I want every one of those ladies to be able to make their own choice and not have the hospital say, oh, well, this is another shot that we think you should get. Oh, and it, so if you don't want to have the boosters, where does this come to? So if somebody says, you know what, I really didn't feel well with those other ones. I've been healthy. The numbers are very low. I don't feel comfortable taking a booster. 
that's now in our policy to mandate. So are you going to just keep saying, well, you're going to be fired? It's, it's a very slippery slope again. Anita, let me ask you, when it comes to being called the bad nurse, the selfish yeah. nurse, there's been a lot of discussion of how that juxtaposes with a year and a half ago, right. how you were a hero and we went out to the streets and we banged pots and pans for you and we put signs on our windows. Do you know, it's so interesting because when all that pots and pans banging was going on, I remember actually saying at work, you know, this is really lovely and it all sounds very great. And, and you know, and, I, and, and I'm very graciously accepting anybody who says, you know, you're heroes in that. We were actually just doing our jobs. That is what our job is. It was wonderful to have the support, but I, I do remember saying at work, you just watch because this is going to change because you always go from a high to a low. And now we are there. I'm no longer a hero. I am the complete opposite. We're now in a situation where we are seeing news stories about whether or not specific hospitals are going to face staffing shortages. In British Columbia, they did shut down a couple ERs. I'm not sure for how long. I think it was just for some shifts, for certain days, for low periods. But they had staffing issues pretty much as a direct result of bringing the vaccine mandate. This was in the interior of BC. There's been similar discussions about whether or not there will need to be reduced surgeries. And I find it very interesting that people are willing to accept this trade-off because the entire justification for, for instance, my kid's schooling being shut down uh, for many mm -hmm. months on end was yeah. we must protect hospital capacity. And I vividly remember, because I was writing about it and I would ask questions uh, of the medical officers during press conferences, I said, okay, well, why, why can't we have more beds? And people would say, Anthony, it's not that simple. We can build beds, but it's about nurses and you can't just, you know, there's, yeah. there's a process, people are going through schooling and it's not people all over the place. It takes time and so forth. And I kind of thought, well, can't you guys expedite this? This is the most pressing issue, but no, apparently they couldn't and so forth. And the healthcare capacity issue was so important. And now I feel like they've been very flippant in saying, okay, let's terminate X number of nurses. I don't think we're still clear exactly what the final tally will be. Um, but all of a sudden, these capacity issues seem like they're not as pressing. So again, very interesting with that, because, you know, you say, so now that we've let staff go, we're short staffed. We were short, so we've been short staffed of nursing staff. That, that's what I can kind of speak to for years. This is nothing new. I mean, where, how does Quebec get to 20,000 nurses short? I mean, it didn't just happen over COVID. Hmm. So of course, of course, when you do an interview or when you see the hospitals giving their numbers, they'll, they'll minimize it. So I think our hospital said 84, 87 staff members, not just nurses, um, inclusive have been let go. That doesn't speak to, I, I know many staff who are still off on sick leave, even before this maternity leaves and that, they have not been terminated yet, but they will be if they don't take their vaccination. So, and of course you hear the, the byline of patient care will not be affected. We will mitigate the losses. How, How is that will you possible? do that? How it's not even possible, Anthony. And they'll put new nurses in, and and um, I've heard that there's bonuses going on with that, and that's great. You know what? More power to those young girls. But I will tell you, I remember being a brand new nurse, and if I didn't have the mentors that I had around me, it is very different going from schooling into working with an actual sick patient and thinking, wait a minute, this was not in the book. Um, so who? So in the end, I've suffered my family, the mental health strain on my family, and I think of my poor parents, and they have health issues. 
um, especially my father. And I think of my entire extended family. I mean, the mental health piece of this has just been just out of control. And so because of everything you mean, like the lockdowns and oh, just from everything. And then, of course, with, you know, a daughter, wife, mother, sister, uh, you know, losing your job for something that is, I mean, Remembrance Day is coming up. This was a fight for freedom. We're, we're right there again. Have you been socially um, ostracized, Anita? I know we talk about divided families, divided neighborhoods, very upset, upsetting stories about that stuff. Do you know, I, I, I personally haven't been. Um, thank goodness. But I have had, I've had family members for other staff who have just been, I mean, the stories are outrageous. And I'm thinking the numbers have gone down so low. Okay, so why is why is this? I mean, literally, marriages are falling apart. Again, suicides. I was speaking to a police officer from Toronto the other day. Um, suicide rates are through the roof. Nobody's talking about this. The fallout is it's more than economic. And my economic fallout, by the way, doesn't just affect myself and my family. For me, that's what I do worry about. But I mean, it's the entire city of London as people lose these jobs. Who is spending money? I mean, it, and it becomes in your tax base. I mean, it just goes so far down the rabbit hole, doesn't it? I want to get your thoughts on hospital administrators. One thing that has really frustrated me, not at the beginning of the pandemic, but soon after things continued, definitely into the second wave, when we were told we have to go into lockdown, we have to shut everything down. And whatever lockdown we were in, there were people who would always tell us it's, it's not hard enough. There's too much mobility. This and that has to be restricted and so forth. And we went into mm -hmm. some crazy terrain. A lot of people in Ontario remember that one weekend where the Ford government said, kids' playgrounds are being shut down again, and we're going to stop people randomly in the street, and we're going to do street checks. And there is a major uproar against all yeah. that. That was quite a moment there. So we've gone in, in, in quite severe terrain. Generally, most hospital administrators who would speak were in favor of everything. And the head of the Ontario Hospital Association, Anthony Dale, was always in favor of the most aggressive restrictions. But one thing I never heard much from them, and I did challenge them this in media requests, and they sent emails uh, addressing the concerns, so they would probably dispute what I'm about to say, but I never heard much about them saying what they're actually doing to manage these capacity issues, to manage the hospital system. And nurses, right. I'm not exactly sure what, what, what the average pay is out there, but I know when I go on the sunshine list and I look at hospital CEOs, 350,000, 400,000, 500,000, 600, $700,000 a year, these individuals are being paid. I would like to think that they are top performers than in their field. I would also like to be able to think that, yes, I know this is unprecedented, but you're supposedly in this job because you're a great leader. I don't have all the answers. I ain't being paid 500K figure it out, or you should lose your job. And I think it's kind of interesting that we've got hundreds of nurses who, for whatever reason, whatever one's position in the vaccine mandate, Anita, you have been terminated, but correct me if I'm mistaken, I don't think a single hospital administrator who gets paid $500,000 to tell me my kid can't go to school and that's somehow the solution to the issue that they're managing, none of them have been terminated for... I don't know. I, I don't think they fully fulfilled the terms of what they should be doing as those high earning positions. Well, uh, again, well, there's there's another catch all um, question, right? Because you look at it. So sure, you can look at it like that way. Uh, what about our governments? I've seen Andrea Horvath was in the day before I was my, my last shift, October 21st. She came down to London and she did a little press conference. I actually did a, a radio, um, uh, just a small interview that morning. 
Um, and there she was at St. Joe's and she said, oh, I've got a plan to hire nurses and we're going to do great. And, you know, she's going on and I'm like, where are you going to get these nurses? It, there's, again, just so many empty words. So this, this comes really from the top down. Where does the buck stop? Do you know where the buck stops right now? It, it's affecting everything that's within the hospital walls. It is, um, it's ultimately affecting patients. They're too afraid to come into the hospital because they might have an unvaccinated staff person. Well, I guess we're gone right now. Um, and there's a lot of turmoil. We've, had, uh, we've seen on the news that there's been, you know, security problems at the hospitals and that people are upset and they're scared. The bureaucrats are always going to make their top dollar. They make the decisions and they take all the humanity out of it. I didn't see, like I said, Anthony, I've never saw one of those top administrators come down and say, you know what, let's get these, let's get these staff members together. Let's just do a Zoom. You don't even have to be physically there. Why don't I talk to them and, and just see what is your story? Let me understand this. But it's all become very political. There's so none of that, no coming. outreach, no talking with you? None. Absolutely, absolutely hmm. none. Um, so uh, we're just numbers. And, and you know what? I, I have known that for a long time. But, but to see it actually come out, and like you said yourself, okay, I have family members who have been needed in the healthcare, like who have needed healthcare um, staff to help them out. Is waiting in line at Emerge for 12 hours plus, is that good care? No. Surgeries shut down. This has happened right here. What about our rural hospitals? So if it's hard enough to find staff for Toronto and London and Hamilton, if it's hard enough there, what are the rural hospitals? And I mean, they, we always, you know, there's always kind of you know, a little teasing and you think, oh, well, what do they do? You know, those rural hospitals, they have big accidents. They're usually by... Um, um, cottagers so I mean there's there's big traumas that they actually have to mm. stabilize you have to have top-notch staff right. um, at all these places so it's not just the big cities but we've taken it on ourselves and and the government everybody wants to look without giving like you said not one answer fire everybody that is not that is not an answer that does not help the patients that doesn't help anybody Anita before we go I want to ask you what happens next what happens next for you what happens next for the healthcare system we've established that the vast majority of healthcare workers have been vaccinated there are some who don't want to be they're being terminated uh, that is causing some challenges some stresses on the system we're told we're hiring more nurses uh, but you've indicated and i've seen reports of this as well that, that in policing and other services uh, there are a percentage however small that are also saying they're going to be resistant to these mandates where do you, from from your perspective and the people you're speaking to, where do you think this is headed next? Um, I think it's I think it's still pretty it's still fairly new in. I think that because these mandates came out and they came out so hard and fast, to roll that back is going to be well, probably frankly embarrassing. But will they be rolling it back? Will it? Well, and I don't even know that, right? So there's so much that's up in the air. I think of staff that are, you know what? One of the girls is on maternity leave. She's worrying about this. She's she's received a letter that if you're not vaccinated, it actually said, we hope that you're enjoying your new family member. Um, but just to let you know. Um, and I think of all the staff that have reached out and the burden of hearing other people's stories is exactly why administration doesn't want to hear them because it is a burden to hear that and it's heartbreaking 
Um, I would really want the, you know, I really want our politicians to get off this rhetoric. And that comes right down to our mayor right here in London. I've heard nothing but negative comments and, and just slurs against people, um, unfounded on why they've made choice. What would I like to see come of, I would like to see come out of this that in the end, the fight for choice works. Not just necessarily, uh, yes, I want my job back. Yes, I want younger staff to have their jobs back in all capacities. But to be able to be shown the respect that you did stand up for your freedom. And I would really want that these things don't come down as they have already. It's, it's, been, um, it's been very painful all around. Um, just society, mental health care is at an all-time low. It's just, oh, people are suffering through, through this. And all that I would want to say is, Make your choice. If you choose not to vaccinate, follow this process. No problem. I will do that. If you vaccinate, you're still doing all the same processes except testing. So I think we need to look seriously at um, the positives that have come out of COVID with our numbers going down. We have eight today at my hospital. Throughout a very large hospital system, we have eight COVID patients today. Um, and that's on their website. That's not finding something out covertly or something. And so you have fired how many staff? It's going to be well over 100 staff that will be fired at the end of this for those low numbers. So I would just, I would want to see our freedom of choice and I want the rhetoric to stop. And I want our politicians to actually stand up for everybody. Anita Davis, we've covered a lot of terrain today. We have. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you. All the best. Take care. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Prue with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>